Welcome to the VIP Jazzwell Report, the report that asks insightful questions and gets revealing answers from people whose lives are faced with dilemmas and challenges beyond the ordinary. Today's topic is considered by many to be a difficult and controversial one. It's about the status of being gay in a religious world and its acceptability not just within the Bible, but by those who follow the religion itself. Before I introduce our guests, let me ask you this. Does the Bible have a clear position on homosexuality or is it open to interpretation? Is being a Christian a one-to-one relationship with God or is it more important to be concerned with who else follows it? And if God himself does not judge us till the day we die, then who are we to judge others? We have two pastors today offering their perspectives on the issue of homosexuality within Christianity. One of them is heterosexual and the other isn't. Our first guest is Pastor Dean Curry, who's the lead pastor at Life Center Church in Tacoma, Washington. He shepherds one of the largest multi-generational congregations in the state. Welcome to the show, Pastor Dean. Thank you very much, Vip. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. And our second guest is Pastor Dave Thompson. Dave is a pastor in Tacoma, Washington as well. He's also the author of the book Over Coffee and a contributor to the Christian Post. Welcome to the show, Pastor Dave. Thanks for having me on, Vip. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, before we begin, let me just say how much I admire both of you for coming on the show. It takes a lot of courage to discuss this topic. So let me start by asking a simple question, because in my previous shows, I've had mixed responses. And that question is, does the Bible condemn or ban homosexuality? Pastor Dave, what are your thoughts? Yes and no. In, in many circumstances, it does. Uh, more importantly, I think the Bible shows us that God initially created sexuality to be shared between a man and a woman, but that's not the whole picture. Uh, what I presented over coffee is that we live in a world with unchangeable human conditions, and just like people who are divorced and remarried or who have to work on the Sabbath, we have to allow people to live in the most godly life possible for their context. And for homosexual or gay people uh, whose sexuality is unchangeable and uh, who are not gifted with uh, the gift of celibacy, the most godly option for them is to live in a relationship with another gay person. Pastor Dean, what's your interpretation? Oh, I think it's pretty clear. The Bible prohibits homosexuality. And I would say that the only caveat I would put to that is that the Bible speaks to all kinds of other sexual behavior that's not appropriate as well. So it's not exclusively prohibiting homosexuality. It also says that sex outside of a heterosexual marriage isn't okay. It talks about uh, sex between in-laws isn't okay. Sex between uh, with animals isn't okay. The Bible isn't silent on sexuality at all. It's pretty clear. But in regard to homosexuality, it's crystal clear. Well, Pastor Dave, you're gay, so my question is, is homosexuality a choice or is it something you're born with? You know, I think that that's something that that continues to be a a question, even in uh, clinical um, cases, within uh, even secular uh, psychologists. uh, the, The question of whether it's nature or nurture is really uncertain, but what what is certain is that after puberty, um, it's nearly impossible and difficult to change uh, your sexuality. So for gay people, I would say that in some ways they have a choice, but the choice is that they recognize, and they're recognizing that this sexual component of who they are is unchangeable. Okay, so if homosexuality, let's say, is not a choice after puberty, then... Just my perspective, could this be considered God's purposeful intention and a test from God 
for the rest of us to still honor his decision? Pastor Dean, what do you think? If you're asking, is it a test for us to see if we'll honor homosexuality? Yes. Is that what your question? I, I, I think it is a choice. I don't think it's God testing the rest of us to see if we can be more tolerant. The Bible uh, talks about this idea that each of us has decisions to make. Forget heterosexual, homosexual. Every heterosexual has to make decisions about their sexual purity, too. So to me, the overarching issue is purity. The Bible emphatically teaches that human responsibility is given to us for all our behaviors. And whether science proves that we have an inclination to drink or an inclination to sleep with multiple women or an inclination to sleep with the same sex, Mm -hmm. it always asks us to tame our appetites. The Bible says that we're supposed to, it affirms eating meals, for instance, but then it says gluttony isn't okay. The Bible says in the New Testament, one brother encourages another brother to have a glass of wine because it's good for his stomach. But then it says, don't be drunk with wine. It's always giving us responsibility for our behaviors. Well, could there in any way be the perception that the Bible regarding homosexuality could be referring to straight people who venture into a gay relationship for the purpose of satisfying sexual curiosity and maybe considering that to be a sin. Yeah, that's a stretch, Vip. I mean, it doesn't really say if you were born this way, it's wrong for you to do that. It just says this behavior breaks God's heart. And again, I don't think it's the only behavior that breaks God's heart. In the list of, for instance, in, in the book of Romans, where there's a fa- uh, you know, famous passage about homosexuality breaking God's heart, it lists other things that also flow out of that. Gossip, backbiting, uh, all kinds of betrayal. But there's no way that you could kind of twist it to make it seem like, well, it's wrong for a heterosexual to act out in that way. But if you're born a homosexual, that's a stretch, yeah. Pastor Dave? Well, I think uh, the difficulty, uh, well, first of all, for oftentimes for straight people to understand where where gay people are at as far as choice and being able to live in this, in this uh, life, um, just ask the question: If if you were if you're straight, how easy would it be for you to change your sexual orientation? So, setting up uh, the notion that orient, that sexual orientation is unchangeable, you know, and this and this is not something uh, unknown to Exodus International, who's one of the leading uh, evangelical and conservative gay ministries. They no longer support the idea that you can cure homosexuality. They've dropped reparative therapy. So. Uh, what is left for uh, gay people then is only celibacy as the option, um, and the problem with that is it's not something that we would ever require of, of any any other person. For instance, in divorce and remarriage, um, we we wouldn't require that because we know it's just not possible to force somebody into celibacy unless it's a gift from God. And um, I don't think really there are, there are many evangelical churches or even conservative, very conservative biblically ones that would support that. So. Uh, for a gay person, uh, these are circumstances that they're placed in where they're left to choose between uh, situations that are incredibly difficult. And uh, I think, as uh, you know, looking at, as pastors in what has been been able to be accomplished in the in the church, we we see that forcing gay people into celibacy is only forcing them to live on the down low, 
and to engage sexuality um, because it's just something inherently needed as part of our creation, unless we're gifted by God with celibacy. So uh, I think it's it's providing them the option to do the, the best given their circumstances. Hmm. Well, Pastor Dean, um, is celibacy the answer then for homosexual people? Uh, I I guess I disagree with the premise, Vip. I don't think that they're locked in to a sexual behavior. Our appetites are either fed, encouraged, uh, flame, uh, you know, uh, fanned into flame, or they're discouraged. Everything you feed grows. Everything you starve dies. Every behavior. So I would say... Yes, I think celibacy is a good answer for people that have an appetite that direction. But if we're honest, um, at a core level, we understand that any behavior, any appetite that you feed seems natural at the time. And I think I could find a couple of heterosexual guys or gals in the community that say, hey, listen, I was born to be, I wasn't born to be monogamous. I know I promised this girl I would be her husband till death do us part, but I found out that I was born to sleep with lots of women. And this is my appetite. You're, 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 you can't ask me to restrain my appetite. But we restrain our appetites all the time. So, you know, I have a great love for people who struggle with their sexuality, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual. I frankly feel like I restrain my sexuality. We're, we all have a strong, I should say we all have, many people have a strong sexual appetite that we get up in the morning and we keep promises to our spouses, to our children, to keep our families intact. Not because we aren't attracted to other people, not because we don't have a drive or an attraction to other uh, experiences, but because we believe there's an ethic that's stronger than our appetite. But, you know, one thing I'm trying to come to terms with regarding the gay community, for them, if celibacy is the answer, then it's all or nothing. So either they convert or nothing. With someone who's polygamous, um, it's one or nothing. So at least they're getting something. Hmm. And may I res- respond to that? Sure. A bit, um, I-, I think uh, the the conversation about appetite is is a, a fascinating one. Uh, and I think what is often misunderstood, perhaps, about gay people is that. Uh, the presumption that because they want to choose to engage in a relationship uh, with with somebody, uh, that that means that they want to engage in sexual deviancies, um, or that they want to have wanton disregard to sexual ethics uh, and simply engage in you know even premarital sex if if we want to converse about that, but. What I think is is a Christian behavior is to encourage these people to, uh, given their circumstances, again, doing the most godly thing that they're capable of and enabling their their spiritual needs, that uh, these are people, gay people, who want to be committed in monogamous relationships. And so, uh, and Pastor Dean, just like you, they are individuals, and myself included, in my partnership, that, that I have to be um, also... Uh, careful with my appetite, and I, I have to work just as hard as a, a straight person to be committed to my mm-hmm. to my significant other. And, and uh, but there's there's a difference between um, quenching the appetite or uh, and famine altogether. And uh, yeah. that's the the difficulty. 
Yeah, I think yeah, I uh, I have a by the way, uh Vip, I yes. mean Dave and his book, I think are this is a wonderful conversation to have. And I and I'm glad that people of faith can have it in a sweet uh in a sweet spirit. So I appreciate where Dave's coming from. I you know, one thing that's kind of fascinated me me in regard to celibacy is that I think I can name three or four of the greatest people in the 20th century, beginning of the 21st century, all who said, I'm going to ignore my sexuality and serve for the rest of my life. I'm thinking about the Dalai Lama, Pope John Paul II, Mm -hmm. Mother Teresa, this new uh, brother who's uh, Pope uh, Francis. And so when we say... It would be the worst thing ever to give up my sexuality. And then we say, who are the people that have changed the world the most? And we name three or four that have committed their lives to things that are higher than sexuality. I think it's, I think it's a challenge to those of us. I know this is a sexual culture, and I know it seems like that appetite is more important than other appetites. But frankly, we were born spiritual first. And sexuality wanes, it ebbs and flows. Uh, Spirituality trumps everything, and it's the most important thing. And the people who have made their spirituality the primary concern and then tamed other appetites, whether it's an appetite for money or sexuality or power, those are the people that when we look back, we see, if there were more Mother Teresas, if there was another Dalai Lama, if there was a Pope John Paul II, this world would be a sweeter place. But, you know, in, in, in all of this, you're, if someone follows the Bible for everything except for sexuality, is that better than someone who follows just the sexuality aspect of the Bible and not much else? No question. Listen, the Bible, the principles in the Bible work. If you use 90% of them Mm -hmm. and then call an audible on your sexuality, of course you're going to get great results on the 90% that you use. Right. The damage that you might do with that 1% is probably more substantial than you imagine. But there's no question. Whatever you work, works. Whatever you apply, works. The Bible doesn't help you. Applying the Bible helps you. There's nothing powerful about Scripture. There are people with Bibles in their house, and they've got three or four Bibles in their house. They don't use the principles. It's using the Scripture that helps your life. Not knowing it, not reading it, but using it. And I think those are great words. Um, and, you know, one of the key aspects of, of the Scriptures that I, that I try to point to in, in Over Coffee is the the very first moral rule that God gives, and that is that man should not be alone. It's the first thing that God says, recognizing um, what is required for man. Uh, and at that time, you know, there was no gender, but so God separates them in order to provide sexuality. Um, it's an, an important part. Otherwise, God could have created man and man and just asexually reproduce, and he just have, you know, bromances, I guess, if you will. But, uh, <laughs> but he doesn't. He creates uh, man and woman. Now, right. uh, and people would say, well, then he should be with, uh, a man should be with a woman. But, uh, again, we're talking about a situation where these people, for whatever reason, um, are not 
are not capable of doing that, and yet they still have that innately created yeah. need for sexual intimacy. Um, not as just sex or or removed from the from relationship, but but relationship the the need to be known intimately by another person. I I think I think your premise is off just a little bit, Dave, and I, I don't want to be um, uh, you know presumptuous here, but in, in Genesis it it talks that it's it's not good. It's not best for man to be alone, exactly. but it doesn't say it's 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 a moral law that he shouldn't be alone. Later on in the New Testament, as you know, brother, I mean, it talks about the fact Paul said he would that we were all single, that we could commit our lives to our spirituality. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and then in another passage, it says God creates some people as eunuchs, some people without any kind of sexual drive. And so yet he encourages men who are burning with better to marry than to burn with passion. Yes. So there's a nuance to sexuality. It's hardly like God commands everybody should be together. It's right for everybody. It's clearly not right for everybody. And the people that are called, when we say a Dalai Lama or a Mother Teresa, have committed their life to their spirituality and fasted their whole existence in their sexuality. Mm-hmm. We're not saying they don't have a drive. Mm-hmm. We're not saying it's cruel of God to call them to serve the poor. We applaud their life. I, uh, Let me ask a question here, just a, uh, a question. If you were to follow celibacy, would it still be acceptable for another man to be in love with another man without a physical intimacy? Oh, my goodness, well, we love all kinds of people. I'm not sure you mean like a lustful love? Well, you can't have the lust because you're following celibacy. Well, I mean, you can't act on the lust. Right. I, I but, but that would be what we call a bromance, you know, if you will. And, uh, In a no, broke I, back I, mountain kind of way, yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I think, uh, you know, the notion of celibacy that is often offered to gay persons, you know, and as a gay person, having struggled with the question of, do I live in celibacy my whole life? Right. Because I, you know, I mean, that's something that, as a studying for ministry, was was a real dilemma for me. And as, and as uh, a number of you know gay people, of course, contact me to talk about this issue. And um, you, you know, the challenge is, is looking at Matthew chapter nineteen to to uh, talk about scripture a little bit. But but Jesus, you know, does recommend celibacy. That the higher higher idea for all persons um, is celibacy. But but he couches that in the statement that those who are able let them hear this. And in other words, that there's there's a certain capability wrapped around celibacy that I think is important. Mother Teresa and perhaps the Dalai Lama and uh, other, and, and even Paul himself, as it seems, um, is uh, are, are people who, is for some reason, are, are able to do this. Yeah. Um, I, I think is, is he saying yeah. able, though, Dave, or is he saying open? When he says it, those who are, is he saying if you're, is it a capability issue or is it an openness issue? Because so often when Jesus was talking, he would say, "If you've got ears to hear this, hear it." He's, it's like he's saying, "This would be great for everybody, but I know not everybody's listening." And and I think that that's the question that that needs to be asked. Um, no, but my question is concerning celibacy: is removing the physical intimacy. But can you have emotional love for each other? Right. Well, 
then I'm I, not talking about a platonic love. Yes, okay. The, it's the a bit Bible like marriage, you know, where celibacy is almost automatic. Right. But Jesus <laughs> spoke to this directly. <laughs> Jesus spoke to that issue directly, Vip, because he was talking to people who were heterosexual. He wasn't talking to homosexual exclusively. Right. But he said, if you look at a woman with lust, you've, you've already missed the point in your heart. It's a sin. So if it's a sin for a man to look on another woman with lust, if it, then it certainly would be out of bounds for a man to look on another man with lust. I don't see where the distinction would be. No, I'm talking about love from an emotional perspective. Well, then, of course, I think we have that now, don't we? You have a best friend, and you love, you love men, you love uh, women, you have a great admiration for people. And, you know, and I think we even have uh, in the Old Testament the story of Jonathan and David, um, uh, who, you know, as, as it says, uh, is his love for, for uh, see, David's love for Jonathan was, was stronger than, than as, as it were, a woman. And I, mm. you know, I know some people try to say that that's, you know, an example of the fact that they were actually in a gay relationship. I think that that's stretching the scriptures quite a bit. But uh, I think it's simply communicating that these are people who loved one another. Yeah. Tremendously. Yeah. And, I agree. Uh, I, I think there is uh, one of the backlashes for for the gay issue in the church, regardless of whether you we, you want to welcome gay partnership or not, is that uh, there's been a a fear for for men especially to to share true emotive and and relational um, participation with other men, and I think that that's been a, a real um, negative thing in the church um, in, in general to say uh, that we've missed out on a lot of what God has offered us in relationship with one another by fearing um, to be seen as gay or for it being mm-hmm. to be seen as um, you know not what a man does yeah. um, and missing out on, on really the relationship that God has intended for us between um, you know the same genders. Well, let's That's take well this. Said, yeah. Let's take this partnership concept one step further. Um, there are still many individuals who are in the closet. What's the answer to the issue if a married heterosexual person wants to leave their spouse if they're actually gay? Pastor Dave. Oh, this is such a uh, complicated issue. I mean, there's so many issues to weigh here. Have has there been infidelity? Do they have children? What is what is the wife and family's reaction? No, they did they did it because that's what society expected them to do. They did it because that's what the Bible expected them to do. But after a while, it's not them. Mm-hmm. It, uh, so I'm. I'm first and foremost uh, held in the notion that God uh, encourages reconciliation and uh, and commit- reconciliation with your true self. Yes, but also you know. So first of all, I'm going to just clarify. We're, we're going to presume that this person is uh, what Kinsey would call a Kinsey six, which means that they actually have never really had uh, any sexual desire for the opposite sex, but mm-hmm. they were. Actually, at Kinsey Five, they were pushed into it socially, um, or even arranged marriages, if you will. Um, although that's not very common in the U.S., um, the the challenge is, uh, and oftentimes this person is going to leave regardless of what the pastor says. Um, they've, they've, at this point, most of them made up their mind. And, and with my work, you know, and over coffee and talking with pastors and people who are gay and come from uh, conservative faith backgrounds, I, I come across a lot of of men or a handful of men, that is to say, statistically, who have left the church, who had to, and uh, who felt like they needed to come out. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's a difficult question, because I think... Well, we don't do easy on this show, so what's the answer? 
<laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I, you know, I would say uh, in some cases uh, it it may be a better solution for them to, uh, if, because oftentimes there's more going on in the marriage that's being incredibly destructive uh, to even the children uh, by staying in the marriage um, when people aren't capable of living in that relationship. But but I I hesitate to ever suggest that splitting up a family or divorce is ever a good option and and I would work to see that that's the last the last option available to them and what and, what would uh, be the last option to find your true self uh no to to uh to minimize the collateral damage of that type of decision if you will um i i've seen men come out uh and and i understand how difficult it is to live in the closet i was there for a number of years um and and i was you know celibate about it and, uh, for you know for, for a very long time and um the challenge is is that uh they come out and they 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 say things and do things that are incredibly hurtful to their children and to their wives and destructive to relationships that that don't need to be so as a pastor if they do decide to i think part of our our obligation is to help them do that with the least amount of damage are they happier from your observations once they've come uh, out you know that's that's uh a sigh of relief maybe sometimes um in it at first you know until the reality of of the fact that relationships are relationships regardless of whether they're gay or straight and uh being in a gay relationship all of a sudden it comes with the same problems as being in a straight relationship in many ways just people this, communicating if i may vip yes this is the problem when we exalt our sexuality and make that appetite uh more important than any other promise or principle uh, we get into these situations is it okay to leave and, and the fact of the matter is it's not okay to leave your family not for another woman if you're heterosexual or not or another man if you're heterosexual and not for a homosexual relationship your your personal sexuality is not the only factor in life Now that's an answer I like. Yes. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. I think that that's an excellent uh, observation. The challenge um for for me in in thinking about people who who might leave is that there there hasn't been uh good functionality and, and they may not be capable of that. Um you know there are there are marriages, you know, with gay individuals who where they have never had sexual intercourse except for once or twice because they felt obligated at the beginning and I mean of course you know there's there's the standard um statement for married people that it's you know an extended stay at the celibacy end but um the the reality is in some situations this is going to be more harmful and uh um uh, to some people uh when they've been forced into this socially and this and we're talking about a very small minority of people in in our congregations well, Pastor Dean why yes. do you think the topic of homosexuality is difficult for some pastors to engage in with their churches. I think I I think it shouldn't be, but it is, obviously it is. And I think that a lot of ministers they get into trying to mind read about what house is going to be received and they start worried getting worried about the emails and letters they might get. But the fact of the matter is people are hungry for truth, Pip. And they're hungry for people to challenge them to live the truth. And so not everything I would say on the sexuality topic whether it's regarding 
homosexual or heterosexual, either one, it's not popular. The Bible isn't compiled by taking polls. It's compiled and given as truth from Jesus, from those first followers. And we're challenged to live those principles. It's kind of hard to say you believe Jesus is your Savior and then start picking apart the principles that you want to live or not live. That That's not directed exclusively at, at uh, homosexuals. The heterosexual community has done this for generations, and it has destroyed the concept of marriage because we don't want to keep a promise. We aren't acting like we are married in front of God and that this vow means something. So heterosexuals are bailing out of marriages because, quote-unquote, they don't feel in love anymore, and, quote-unquote, there's no chemistry or whatever. And so the fact... But then, that, but then if it's that simple, then why is it so difficult for pastors to engage? Oh, I think it's just cowardice, Vip. It's cowardice. Why, why, why when we... And, and I think it's laziness. Um, here, here Dave and I are, and we're, we're brothers. I disagree with him, but he loves Jesus. I love Jesus. And we can sit and talk. I don't know why we... We're so lazy, we don't... We don't want to have a conversation with people. That's why, again, I applaud him, and I applaud you for hosting the dialogue, but I think a lot of pastors lack courage, and when they don't lack courage, they lack the spunk. They just don't want to have a thoughtful conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's exactly what's missing, a thoughtful conversation. Pastor Dave, what do you think? You know, if if I may applaud, uh, you know, Pastor Dean, uh, the, he's uh, Dean. You're very unusual in your in your uh, in many ways. <laughs> That's what his wife said. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, in in the in that you're willing to talk about this issue. You know, in, you know, in, in my work with Over Coffee, of course, I sit with with a number of of pastors in the Foursquare and Assemblies of God and Nazarene and other uh, Baptist, other uh, more conservative denominations, um, and um, the the challenge isn't necessarily talking one on one with them, but but for them to talk openly about this and and like you said, I think the the word cowardice or fear I, I think is a, is a strong component because um, so many people in their congregations have so many emotive uh, responses to this uh, because they've uh, they usually have some connection to this. There's either um, a fear of of people finding out that they have a gay loved one or they've dealt with something and and they've seen the church hurt their their loved ones. I mean there's so many emotive ties to this and and it it's opening such a can of worms for pastors and I I get that and um and I you know I do want to applaud uh, Dean the fact that you're willing to talk openly about this. I, no, thank I'm you, grateful for you as a brother. Yeah, thank no, you. I'm grateful to both of you but why is the gay issue so prominent in Christianity because other religions, it seems to be less of a public concern. I'm not saying that it isn't as serious. Maybe the key word there is public. It's it's always a private concern because this is a human appetite issue. Gluttony is an issue in Islamic homes, in in Hindu homes, Buddhist homes. Uh, wherever you have human beings, you're going to have appetite issues. And whether it's gluttony, it's sexuality, it's the drive for power. So this is an issue in 
every religion, across the board, in every atheistic home, because there are people who have, they're not, they're not religious, and they have no stated beliefs, but for whatever reason, they might have a social standard or a, a reputation that, that, that they feel threatened by somebody else's sexuality. So it's out there, Vic. I don't think it's exclusive to followers of Jesus. No, not at all, not at all. What I'm saying is, is it because maybe Christians allow more of a voice to be raised? Hmm. They will hear everybody. Oh. And in other religions, probably the followers of that religion do not allow differences from their religion to oh, be voiced. I yes, that, that, I, I believe that to be true. And I think Dave would probably agree with me that one of the great things about being a follower of Jesus is it, it validates the individual. And many other faiths um, aren't as emphatic about the value of each and every person. So we're willing to have that conversation, because even though I believe homosexuality is a sin, I believe God loves homosexuals. God loves everybody. Loves everybody. Jesus died for everybody. So we, gotta, we have to, as followers of Jesus, we have to have this talk. Because I, even though I feel, uh, I, when I read the Bible, I see the Bible so emphatic about this behavior being a sin, but it's just as emphatic that I have to love everybody. So I, I've got to get on the ball and be more loving so that the homosexual community can come in and have this dialogue so that Dave can write books like this and not feel like an outcast. He can have a conversation with a brother and we can move forward. I think that's one of the great things about being a follower of Jesus. You know, one of the uh, aspects about it becoming so popular, I think we are also living in an information age. Facebook and Twitter and social media have really forced us for the first time, in, in many cases in human history, to consider the reality of our human context and the, the challenges that humanity brings. We, we can't sweep them under the rug because people don't see them or we cannot talk about it. Uh, social media has forced us to, to deal with uh, the things that we don't want to talk about. And, and I think in many ways that's what's driving a lot of this attention. And, and now the church is really having to wrestle with this very real circumstance in humanity that that we've been able to push under the carpet, uh, but um, and and people have been living on the down low or in secret, or they said, "Look, just stay married and live on the down low." And and unfortunately, I've heard pastors say that, and people say, you know, tell me that that was the answer for them. Um, but instead, I think this is an opportunity, of course, for the church to to reinvigorate itself and to demonstrate uh, the love of God for, and enabling individuals to live the greatest possible way of godliness in their lives. Um, and for gay people, I feel like that's um, allowing them to do the best, given their circumstances, and uh, to find somebody to love and fulfill that need um, for a relationship. Well, Pastor Dave, before we end the show, you sent me an, uh, an email um, this, which highlighted a current issue concerning the LGBT, and that was through the recent announcement of the Boy Scouts of America. So I really want to just take, you know, out of religion and just go into the social arena a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I believe they lifted the ban on the gay youth being able to join, but the ban on gay adult scout leaders remains. Mm -hmm. Now, it is what it is, but 
I'm going to talk as a father and, and the views expressed are just my own. For me, the moment any form of sexuality enters the domain of my child, regardless of what that sexuality is, you know, uh, we have the topic of sex and then we have my child. You know, I subconsciously associate it with pedophilia and that frightens me. I could be wrong, but I'm talking as a father now. You know, I want my child to be operating in a sex-free zone. So my question is, um, do you think sometimes the LGBT are too loud for their own good? Because it begs the question, does sexuality have to play a part in every aspect of life? Mm -hmm. I, I think oftentimes... Um, uh, the LGBT community may not consider all of the circumstances mm -hmm. uh, when they're when they're talking about these issues. Uh, you know, as a gay person, I I sometimes feel at a distance to the gay community and in what they advocate for, and and how they often paint the opposition and in the conversations. I think with the Boy Scouts, one of the most challenging uh, aspects is that we're not talk we're talking about an age group that where sexuality is is really. Uh, just a, a mess and confusion, you know. Right. At that age, we don't understand these complicated questions. And um, and again, you know, there's a difference between the scout member themselves and the leadership or members who are coming in to be scout uh, master or, or scout leaders. Um, for kids, I think that what would be dangerous and what what is first of all there's always been gay scouts there's always been gay people in the scouts you know right. it's just a, a statistics you know and, and peer ratios but uh, the difference is is in our society uh, oftentimes a, a gay person is is given more option now to talk about it and the horrible thing would be for a, a scout pr uh, to go to a pastor and say hey i'm wrestling with this gay issue and if that pastor is a scout leader or shares that with the scout leader, up until now they would have had to kick them out because they are, they're identifying as gay, perhaps. But I think what the, gay, what the scouts were trying to do is to say, hey, we're not pushing an agenda, we're, not, we're certainly not encouraged sexuality uh, as far as practice. We're saying that people who are questioning or trying to figure this out shouldn't be kicked out. And so that's one issue. The leadership on the other end, uh, VIP, I feel, you know, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly in that there's more to the conversation than just gay or straight. There's the question. You know, sometimes uh, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> you know, it really is yeah. because it, it doesn't concern me whether someone's gay or not. Mm -hmm. As long as they are good with my child and enforce the good values for what the purpose of that association is for. You know, in the same way, if I'm at the gym, I'm working out, whatever, I don't really need someone to put a tag on to, d to label them as heterosexual or gay. Mm -hmm. As long as they're respectful of my space, I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't need to know. So the need to talk is opposed by the need to not to hear. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where I'm coming from. Uh, that sometimes we just don't need to know. I, th I think you're right. This is Dean, by the way, Vip. And if I can interject sure. this question here, uh, back to my premise that sexuality is not the primary purpose of life. It's spirituality. It's it's this idea of developing who you are on the inside, not ex not just expressing your your uh, your uh, appetite, <laughs> however it might be at 14 or 15. I was disappointed. As a, as a just as a father, 
that they introduced the topic of sexuality at all. I would hope that the Boy Scouts would take anybody of, not just sexuality, uh, I hope they take kids that have ADD. I hope they take kids that have disabilities. I hope they take kids that have a varying uh, IQ and EQ levels. The point is, that's for kids to grow into better citizens. You see, for me as a father, all I want to know is that the people who are guiding my child don't have any criminal intentions, have no criminal records. Apart from that, in their own time, they can run around in whatever they want to. And do. Yes. So, you know, that's for me... I mean, if if some if if there was a heterosexual scout leader and and I'm talking to him while the kids are building a tent and he's talking about how uh, sexy some of the mothers, are, I'd feel very uncomfortable. That why is he bringing sexuality into this zone? You know, I want a sex-free zone. Yeah, absolutely. I would love I would love it if we made character the primary drive for our culture and not just our sexuality. We're so attached to sexuality now. We've got. 12-year-old girls that feel like they have to dress up like uh, grown women. It, the drive, in the, the, the constant voices that sex trumps everything, I don't think is good to developing wonderful human beings or a great culture. I would, I would very much agree with you, Dean, there. I, I think one, one thing that is frustrating to see is, or perhaps disappointing to see for churches, mm-hmm. uh, is the denominational stances that they've made in statements against the Boy Scouts, um, the Southern Baptist Convention. The, and and uh, unfortunately, from, from what would be my you know, faith background, is, is uh, the Assemblies of God is uh, made a, you know, on the Christian Post, actually, uh, where I'm a columnist, that, that they... Uh, made a, a very public statement of, of non-support, and of course they put a plug in for the Royal, Royal Ranger program, which is kind of their alternative. But uh, it, it, that's frustrating to me because I feel like that 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 is there are so many other more important conversations to be having right now as, as denominational leaderships to focus in on such an, uh, a small point and bring it out and, and make such a moral judgment based upon it. I think is very dangerous. And it is when you bring it into the the children's zone. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I find is getting a little out of hand. Yeah, I think... Because then, you know, every parent is going to be very protective, and they're just going to opt for the easiest solution. Yeah. And that is, you know, leave status quo. Right. It's You know, in, in a case, sometimes it's just beneficial, don't ask, don't tell. I don't need to know. And that actually should work to everyone's advantage because that shows the fairest possible solution rather than force out someone's discrimination or prejudice because we're all born with that. Yeah, I always have preconceived notions of, you know. I I was a Boy Scout, and and I don't remember a lot about the experience. But I remember, for instance, when we would go camping, and they would say, leave a place better than you found it. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the kind of stuff that does it it matter what you perceive your orientation to be. I mean, what, what... doesn't every wouldn't it be nice if everybody left the world a little better than they found it? I'm for that. 
I'm for that, and I, I'd like sexuality to be out of the dialogue as much as possible. And and I agree with 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 children, especially when I mean, we're talking about development ages here, where you know that's so far from their conversation uh, and what they're interested in, and they're you know they're just wanting to hang out and have a good time and learn how to do things in the woods, you know. And I I actually grew up you know hunting and fishing with my dad long before, and and was actually a royal ranger of all things in the in the assemblies of God, which is their program. Um, but quite frankly, I learned most of it by, you know, at an early age, just following my dad around the woods and camping and, and uh, backpacking in. And so, uh, I, but I agree that that's, it's such a complicated thing to involve children with. I, I think it's uh, incredibly dangerous to do that. Well, we've come to the end of the show, gentlemen. Pastor Dean, Pastor Dave, thank you so much oh, for coming you, on the show. Vip. We have to do this again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Vip. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Dean. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was very insightful for me. I learned a lot and hope you did too. Send in your comments to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the VIP Jazzwall Report or tweet me if you dare at VIP Jazzwall on Twitter. Thank you for listening and keep your ears open for the next airing of the VIP Jazzwall Report coming soon.